You're amazing. Oh my gosh. I just want to reach through my computer and hug you. <laughs> oh no, thank you. I just can't. Oh, it's, in English is so hard. Finding the right vocabulary and finding it. It's, it's just. Oh my <laughs> gosh. You're better than me. <laughs> Hello and welcome to SimGap One Stories, hosted by me, Ashley Fry. Every couple of weeks, I spread information and awareness about a rare disease that affects my son, Nathan. It's called SimGap One. I chat with parents, siblings, caregivers, and others about the challenges and successes of their journey with someone impacted by SimGap One. I hope you enjoy today's conversation. Hello, everybody. I'm joined today by Vicki Artiaga, who lives in Jupiter, Florida with her husband, Juan, children, Violetta, Lourdes, and Amelia, who has SimGap One. Amelia is eight years old and was diagnosed in 2018 when she was three. Vicky is very active in the SRF community as our Latin American director, providing information in Spanish to our Hispanic community, while also increasing and promoting SingUp One knowledge with clinicians throughout all of the different initiatives that we have. Vicky, thank you for being here. Ashley, thank you really to invite me and to be part of this amazing podcast. Yes, of course. So I have only ever seen beautiful photos of Amelia and I want to know more about her. Tell me about her. What is she like? What does she love? Well, she's a sweet, loving girl. Like most of our Singapians, they have their moments, of course, but we know that about, we know about that. Um, she loves swimming. She loves dancing. She loves costumes and dressing up and pretend play as a doctor and she is hilarious sometimes she she makes funny jokes or she makes fun of you if you fail or something happened or something spills so it's she's she has this humor <laughs> oh that's awesome does she does she have a um a large vocabulary well not really but she does speak a few words um, most of them in English. She is bilingual too. She understands pretty much everything we say. We talk in Spanish at home, uh, but the few words that she she talks are in English. Short, just short words, and there are around eighty words that she she says. Mm-hmm. Okay. In two thousand and eighteen, I we didn't have. A diagnosis for Nathan yet, and he wasn't. He was, he was about a year old at that point. How was it to get a diagnosis for her? What did you notice? What doctors did you talk to? How did you get her up one diagnosis? I think this is an excellent question because I was living in Colombia at the time, even though we used to live in Florida, but we moved for just a period of time to Colombia. And that was a period of, I, hope, I call it like the, our odyssey of the diagnosis. When we, we were there is when we started noticing that Amelia wasn't, she was delayed and she wasn't sitting at the time. She wasn't crawling at the time. Um, I had an older daughter, so I was able to compare um, her from, from the daughter. And I, knows, uh, I knew that something wasn't right. And I was very persistent. Um, so I had to go to different doctors, different specialists, different tests, and it was, it was a little bit of a hectic time, but, um, 
at the time in Colombia, they didn't have the um, exome, the genetic exome. So when we finally got to the point, I'm talking about many uh, appointments, right, to get to a geneticist, and she would, at the end, she was saying, no, there is no more that we can do. Everything is coming up fine. And we we suggested that we wanted or were thinking about a third child that's before Lourdes uh, comes in the picture. So she she said, well, the only thing I suggest is that we can do an exome trio that is not in Colombia. So you have it has to go to Spain and then come back. And we said, yes, even though if, if the insurance wasn't going to pay for it. Um, so that's how we um, actually two months later, we ended up with the diagnosis. And I am yesterday I was no in the 28th. I was celebrating my fifth year of a diagnosis day. So I had an I got an email, and then everything happens from there. Wow. I um, I haven't thought about that about like marking a diagnosis day, but that's a really good idea. I should probably pay more attention to that each year. So it's it's encouraging to me that in Colombia you were able to have doctors listen and pay attention and know that you, the mom, knew that something was not quite right. And your advocacy, I'm sure, is what led them to continue to help you and make the suggestion to get that final sequencing. And even though it wasn't available in Colombia, they shared with you where you could go to receive it. What was that like, um, traveling internationally to get to get that testing done? Yes, and it wasn't. We didn't need to travel, but the, the blood test was chipped. Uh, so oh, okay, that was I understand. Expensive. However, it was just like us; like we would travel anywhere just to to get an answer. And I feel so lucky and so fortunate to have a diagnosis when she was only three years old. We are talking about five years ago. With there were older kids that were getting diagnosed and they were not right. that little at the time. So it was quite an, an experience. We moved back to Florida right away. Um, that made an important decision to us to move back to Florida. We didn't know, and like there were not many options uh, in Florida either. The neurologists mm-hmm. didn't know about Singapore. So it was a total, and I call it another odyssey after a diagnosis, you know, especially an odyssey of a rare disease that the people didn't know what it was about five years ago. It's, yeah, I think the work, the hard work that a community has done is important and all the research that we have, we have done in five years has also make an improvement to those families that are getting diagnosed today. And that was the point of us getting involved in in seeing that research fund in order to help also that community that is really close to my heart. Those are in Latin America that are having a harder time to the availability of getting a genetic testing. Yeah. So I want you to um, explain a little bit more about both you, what you do professionally and how you have woven those skills into volunteering for SRF, because what you do is so crucial. And I think if it hadn't been for you, this would be an aspect of, um, of the, of the community engaging and building an SRF that would lack really, you have done a lot of work in this space. So tell us about, tell us about your roles. Thank you, Ashley. Well, 
My background is in international business. I have a specialization on political studies and also an MBA from FAU. I think the knowledge of operations, that was kind of like my my career was operations supply chain. Um, I never in my mind thought I was going to get involved in anything scientific research or anything like, even though I'm not directly involved in research, but it's just like, it, it became life. Um, and it really is a diagnosis that changed my, my role, my path as a professional, because I never thought I was going to, to believe in this life for sure. And, and when I got the diagnosis for Amelia and I was deciding either if I was going to back to, to work, I was with the girls and I was trying to decide that. And then we decided as a family that the, the best decision was to, I was pregnant with Lourdes. Uh, when I, we got an invitation to be part of the board, the best decision that we could just do to kind of help develop and accelerate a little bit of our journey with Singapore was to be part of the variable. So that's basically what I do on my limited time that I have uh, is to create that network and helping uh, other families in Latin America and how we can create the content in Spanish that we can provide to these families because it's not about um, translation or subtitles. It's about keeping the content in a meaningful and respectful way in their language. And that's very important because I know how hard it is or it was for me to read a diagnosis that a genetic testing that I didn't even, a result, genetic result that I didn't even understand and read it in the, in the websites. And I didn't understand much of what they were saying in English. So it's kind of like making that change a little bit to those families that are just getting a diagnosis and that they can find a community that will embrace them and they can be understood. Yeah. And as part of both your professional and your volunteer role with SRF, you travel a lot. You go to a lot of conferences. What has what has your experience been in going to other conferences? I know you've attended other rare disease groups, conferences. I mean, you kind of are all over the board, Vicky. I cannot, I can't imagine um, what it would be like to be your executive assistant planning your schedule and your travel and keeping up with your calendar. So tell us a little bit about how physically going to other conferences around the world for various topics and rare diseases. Tell us a little bit about that. But it's very difficult logistically speaking to our family, especially when my husband travels a lot. So in, in our family, just for me to travel is we need to plan ahead and we need to, to make sure that everything is in place and we have to cancel Amelia's therapies and we have to just adjust a lot. But I, I think it was important, especially learning from other rare diseases um, at the beginning. Well, I still wish I could travel more, but it's, it's just learning from Ravel, from learning from Angelman and how they are building this community. They are, they know they have more people. They have years ahead of us, but how we can learn from them and, and have that connections with them so we can also support our community and especially focusing on our Hispanic community better. And the other thing, the other things I've done is, is through Global Genes, Nord. I've been to different conferences in neuropediatrics in Mexico and in Colombia, and we have done other travels in Spain. 
but it, the, the focus is learning, connecting. Um, and also one of the strategies definitely is getting the clinicians interested in Singapore and how we can improve the, um, the diagnosis in our region and how we can make um, at least a little help to increase that and make the the whole, I, I would say the whole stakeholders, you know, aware that we need to have a community and a voice um, as a Hispanic community, even though we are very different. We come from different cultures, different backgrounds, different educations. So how we can put us together and we can have a voice in, in this rare community. And I would say too, when I started learning about you and your role within this community, and then I met you at the conference and I saw all of the other families who were coming from many different countries in Latin America who, who joined us at last year's conference, I was, it, it was very obvious how important of a person you were as that conduit, that, that connective liaison between the, the English speaking community and the progress that it made, but also just reconnecting it back to people across South America, Central America. And what really stays with me is how important the work that you have done to connect these countries and, and this information, just like, like the stakeholders making sure that the information is as accessible and widely available as possible to keep improving the care, the diagnoses, helping people understand that this is a disease that needs lots of attention all around the world. And I, I really know that you are a valued asset to many of us. And, um, I just have to say how much I admire you for doing all of that work because I know how, how difficult it can be with logistics and tiring. You know, we have, we have very busy and difficult lives caring for Singapian children and to see all of the effort that you are willing to put out is inspiring to me. So thank you. No, thank you, Ashley. Thank you so much. And I also have to say this is a teamwork and, just finding the right people that will, you know, carry on and will continue with this work that we started, but it's the the idea of inspiring other families that are coming along to also to be into leadership and, and work in the, with the same purpose. Okay. I want to pivot a little bit and learn more about Amelia. Can you tell me what her day-to-day um, life looks like has she started school back this year yet yes thank god (laughs) (laughs) forward to it um yes she's back to school the summer has ended for us um it was difficult beginning of the year because there were a lot of changes our aba therapies we were in colombia and she just didn't continue when we came back and now we had, an, then we, we came back to school, then she had a new, a new teacher, um, a new group. So it was kind of like, I was a little bit nervous on how it was going to continue or be, begin the year. But actually, 
as always, they surprise us. And she has been very happy and she is adjusting well to the changes, both her therapist and her school teacher and the whole group. And no, she's doing fine. It's a busy schedule we have. She goes to school at 8 in the morning. I have to drop her up around 7.45. And then I pick her up at normally at 1.50. And during twice a week, she has therapy. So I have to pick her up a little bit earlier. We go to therapy for one hour and a half. And then she, for physical, occupational, and language. And then she comes back and she has ABA every day for 22 hours a week. Oh, that's amazing. Women on Wednesdays afternoons and Saturdays every other week we have course writing. So a very busy schedule for her. Yeah, that's great though. But I, you know, I, I, um, as busy as the school year can be, I'm always so grateful for the routine that basically doesn't change. The hardest part for us is changing the routine and getting used to something new or like over the summertime, it's so much harder to maintain that regularity that is so important for our kids. So I, I was just like you, I was counting down the days until summer was over um, and getting back into the swing of school routines. And that, that has been so helpful. What would you say is the hardest day-to-day struggle with Amelia? Transitions. Transitions have yeah. been the most difficult portion, especially now that she's heavier, that I cannot carry her anymore. And every every time I go to the to therapy, I just pray that she's not gonna drop in the parking lot with a two hundred degrees um, parking, and it's just the anxiety that it creates, just the anticipation of hopefully everything is going to be smooth and what technique I'm going to use. So she's going to be happy to trans, like to go from the car to the on um, Yeah. So definitely transition is my biggest. Yeah. Well, you're about to have another tactic. I, I am aware that um, Amelia is receiving her medical alert dog, Sienna. That's, that's like, Upcoming this week, right? This Friday, I can. Oh my gosh! Excited! Everybody's excited. Violeta is also, I think, the most excited too. Our oldest. Um. Well, I I need definitely need to talk to you to see what tips you're gonna give me for this arrival because we have never had dogs before, so it's gonna definitely gonna be an adjustment for our family. But very happy. Yes. It it is definitely an adjustment, but we have learned that Panda can help with transitions and um especially walking through parking lots or you know entering buildings. She is very helpful and it's kind of like I can't I cannot pick Nathan up very easily and I'm you know if he decides to just flop on the floor that's about that's it that that's done. But Panda is a really good incentive. And she can drag him pretty well, <laughs> pretty well, if that if that's you know the last resort. But um, but yeah, I think I think that having Sienna will greatly assist with those transitions. And I know that um, you and Cecilia probably already have a fabulous relationship. You will love her. Yes, thank you. I will I will share with you all my experience, but we can't wait. <laughs> oh, good. 
what would you say is the best thing about raising Amelia? That's a hard one. <laughs> there mm-hmm. are many things. I, I think it's just a constant learning as a mother. Um, mm-hmm. How strong you can be. Um, sometimes you doubt yourself of the resilience. I won't say acceptance because I, I still have a hard time accepting this reality that we are have to deal with, but it's just how we can go day by day and every success is just amazing. It's just like learning that sometimes you expect so much out of your children and just respecting that development. And I think I, I have learned so much from her that my motherhood style has been different with Lourdes um and of course now with Violeta but I think it it took me a while to understand that expectations should be assessed into each each child so I I think there's a wonderful experience in that way that was so well said how do you how would you say that well what do you think you want to know most? What's the most pressing thing on your mind that you want to learn from parents or caregivers of older Syngapians? Well, I think comparing sometimes is hard and that comparison is just difficult because I had a hard time meeting older kids. Um, honestly, it's just hard to understand that Amelia is growing and he's, and she's going to grow to an adult. And so that has been a conversation with my therapist for a long time because I, I just had a hard time, especially once in my life that I met someone. So it was just very difficult as a person and, and, and just hitting that reality uh, that mm-hmm. I wasn't really, really processing that. I think that's the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, Learning about the experience of others is very important so we can plan the strategic um, objectives and goals for Amelia in the present. I mean, if we know that in the future she might have some um, gross motors problems, we are just focusing a lot in her core and focusing on her muscle tone. And so our present has to be toward those um, goals and service doc is going to help us and trying to find every single thing that we could put in place for that future but that future cannot be compared to others that already had that experience and it cannot be compared because we don't know what is going to happen for Amelia if the things that we have done if an early diagnosis and the good medication that we have been providing since the beginning is going to be important for her future what is going to change with the hormones? And I mean, just thinking about that is just a little bit difficult. But uh, yes, learning from others is very important, but also understanding that probably not necessarily it's going to be your experience. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. You mentioned um, having a therapist. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> it's, it's something I ask most of my guests, how do you cope? How do you give yourself a break? And so many of us just haven't prioritized ourselves. So to hear you say that, that you've had a therapist for a while and um, that has been 
something that has helped you is really reassuring because uh, I think we all need to prioritize that self-care a little bit more. Uh, was it, has it, how long have you had your therapist? I think it took me longer than I should. I probably from the culture could be, or just personality. I, I thought I was strong enough that I was going to deal with everything. And until I started, it has been more, probably two, almost two years is when I did really realize how much and how important and how much it was needed to, to my sanity. Um, I think I was, you know, borderline depressed and I wasn't really admitting it. And it was on time and it has been a great, great help. I still think I need more time for for myself. I need to do ex- I wish I could say um, exercise and meditation. No, nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish probably in the next, you know, interview, if we have any, I'm going to say that, but not this time. Perfect. But just to be honest, I think just living the best you can, um, finding joy in probably simple things is just, is how I cope. And just friendship, just going out with my friends for brunch or lunch and not talk about Singapore at all. Just being me, happy light i don't know it's just yes. light conversation that's my 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 thing yeah i love that i should probably do more of that too what would you say is amelia's biggest success in the last year or so she is doing fantastic with potty training i won't say she is we are there yet not a hundred percent, but she's doing great. She's going. And uh, in the afternoon, she doesn't have to use diapers. We are talking about probably doing it in the morning at school, but I, I'm, not, I'm not sure yet. But it's still, it's something that I'm very happy with. Uh, she's finally um, being able to dress herself. And that's a huge thing. That's big. It's a long time, but it just, just at least the PJs that we don't have to rush in the morning, but at least in the PJs <laughs> at night. She's doing a great job and those are big successes. And she's learning a little bit more of her alphabet. So those are, I would say, my three biggest. Oh, that's lovely. And are are your other daughters close with her? They are. They are very close. Um, Violeta is very protective. I would say a little bit overprotective. And she is best the sister in the whole world. <laughs> Lourdes, I think, is learning. I think she's learning what her role is yeah, on this because I know she's just three and a half and she also required attention and she is kind of understanding like Amelia needs help or Amelia, for her, Amelia is now realizing that Amelia is, is a baby. She doesn't talk like Amelia and she doesn't so it's, it's kind of sweet. And at school, she has a, it's another, you know, teammate at school that in her classroom that I don't know what her diagnosis is, but she kind of says, oh, she cries like Amelia. She talks like Amelia. And, and I think it's sweet. And, and she said, I gave, I gave her a hug because she, she was sad. Oh. And she oh. cry. So it's kind of like somehow they learn. They learn. And, and it's just 
amazing. I find that the awareness of Syngap siblings and the empathy that they have for not just their sibling, but for any other person or child who is dissimilar and not neurotypical is just like off the charts impressive. I, every single Syngap sibling I have met, I have been just floored by their maturity. So I want to, I want to chat for a minute about something that I'm super excited about. And I know that you are excited about as well. So as you know, a continuation of all of the advocacy that you have done for the Spanish speaking community, you and Merlina have decided to take the Syngap stories platform and model and are spinning it into a Spanish speaking, not just audio, but video podcast to share stories among the Latin America community. And that's going to be called, what is that podcast going to be called? Syngap Cafe. Cafe Syngap. Yes. 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 Oh my gosh. So this is something that sadly I won't be able to understand and, and listen to. Um, but I'm going to follow up with every single episode and, and cheer you guys on because I know how valuable that support is and that feedback. So tell me a little bit about that. How was, uh, um, I know that you are going to have a conversation with Merlina to kind of kick the, kick off the whole podcast, but tell me about, tell me about this, this whole decision-making because I'm so thrilled that, um, that it's happening. No, I'm very, very happy, excited. It has been a work for a while. Uh, it has been a dream for a while. I'm just making it like a reality is just a huge thing for all of us. Within all the initiatives that we have in Fondo Singap is just having a blog in Spanish, having family videos in Spanish. And one of them was definitely a podcast that we could share our stories. But the most important thing here is just bringing the families from different countries, even from Spain, even there is one in Germany that speaks Spanish. And those families that speak Spanish around the world, and they can bring not only their experiences, but also their culture into the conversation. So it's all mm -hmm. about how diverse we could be and how we can share our knowledge, our experiences, our challenges, how similar they are, but at the same time, the uniqueness of each family. And that's very, very inspiring, I would say. And definitely, Ashley, thank you so much for giving us these wonderful idea from your podcast because it's definitely something that we needed also as a community um, spanish-speaking community and the idea is also to interview uh, clinicians and researchers that speak spanish so they could also be sharing their experiences with Singapore. one great I know I haven't quite stepped out of my comfort zone talking to caregivers really yet I, it will come um, I will get there But so far, I have just enjoyed getting to know my fellow caregivers, um, and I haven't wanted to step out of that comfort zone yet, but I will. And, and as soon as I start seeing that you guys have lined up clinicians for your effort, I'm, I know that that will kind of kick me into gear to do the same too. Um, so thank you. And I'm super excited about that. When is the first episode supposed to be released? Soon. I think it's going to be next week, the first one. Oh yeah. my gosh, that's a, that's uh, really exciting. Very excited, yes. 
So what we will do is we will post uh, a link in the show notes for this episode. That way, anybody who's interested who finds this one first can find you immediately after. Oh, congratulations. That makes me really happy. Sounds great. I hope everybody likes it and they can just share it and, you know. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So let's end with something that I love to ask everybody. What is one piece of advice that you can share how to live a happier life with Syngap? I would say one day at a time, finding joy from the successes and the good things that happened during that day and just stick with the good things sometimes when the things are a little bit challenging. And it's just learning, I think, connecting with other families that definitely gives a different perspective of life and understanding that you are not alone, that you are um, understood by others because the others not anyone else can understand what they're like what you're going through in your specific scenario than the other people that have lived the same experience or that um are experiencing the same um thing with this thing at one um i think that's it it's just another thing that i will recommend to those families that are getting a new diagnosis is how the value of each one adds up and if there is anything that they know that they can volunteer to our community, our single research fund community, even though if it's just a few hours, just do do it. Just keep a little bit of your knowledge and your time because it's tons of things to do. And we need that. We need that help because if we if we are together, we are stronger. And that's how I feel like we, we should do. That was so well said. I um I wish you could host this podcast for me every once in a while. You're so well spoken. Um well, Vicky, I can't thank you enough for taking out, out time from your day and your life to share with others just like you have continuously since 2018. So, thank you, thank you so much. Ashley, thank you so much for the invitation. I also want to add that we are having our second scientific congress in spanish very soon september 23rd and we have amazing panelists it's going to be online and i hope a lot of people can join those are speak spanish because we are going to have from the clinician aspect of singap one and also therapeutics and what is happening in the future and the idea is to understand what is going on in the region in latin america too um, have our information to those that are interested. So thank you so much, Ashley, for this and this opportunity. Uh, let us, you know, letting us share our story. Absolutely. And we will put a link to, to that particular event in the show notes as well. We will make everything easily accessible. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us and we will chat with you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and like us wherever you're listening. For more information about today's guest and Syngap One, please check out our show notes. Your suggestions are always welcome. Please email us at ed at cursingapone.org.